Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with Nicholas and Heather Vesey. So this is the third in a series that I'm doing uh, on the nature of being. And if you've missed any of the other ones, uh, there's a red card you'll find at the back and you can download a podcast and just uh, hear the other ones if you fancy doing that. In the first week, I talked about the idea uh, that in essence... Our sole purpose in life is to consciously live through this experience of being who we are, to live it consciously. And that's really our purpose. Um, And what I asked us to do was uh, to donate our being um, so it could be used by God in the evolution of creation. I had a being donor card, which you can find at the back of the, of the chapel there. And the idea is, you know, you give yourself up to that unfolding of life. You become a living sacrifice, uh, made holy by giving ourselves over to the ground of being, uh, which is another four words for God, ground of all being. It's a good expression of God. And that by giving ourselves over, To that purpose, we join with the love that's at the center of all things and express that love in creation. Um, I handed out those being donor cards, um, which you fill in really as an expression of consent for yourselves. Remembering that Thomas Merton's definition of faith is intellectual assent. You just say sort of yes to the spiritual life. And filling in that card is a moment of intellectual assent. It's a moment where I say, yes, I give up my life to the unfolding of creation. Uh, And you can find those cards at the back of the sanctuary if you want them. And last week, I spoke of God as the ground of all being and the need to anchor ourselves in that reality by expressing our being as purely as possible. And I spoke that the way we do that, the way we explore our, our being as purely as possible, really is through meditation. And I, I'm, I'm going to, this is a recap on the last couple of weeks. Um, and I just, uh, I'm not very good at drawing. I'll say this last week. But I said, this is how, for me, meditation works, okay? You're there. And... You know, it's all about the breath. And, you, and almost as you breathe in, your, in the meditation, you sort of breathe in and just imagine this circle and then breathe out. And you, the whole idea is to make a decision to follow every single breath, to not lose a single breath. And the idea of that is you put your attention in your hearts rather than your minds running things. So to do that, it's always very difficult because you're always thinking about the latest episode of Succession or whatever it is. And what you really want to do is you want to focus on your breath. And, and so the idea is, as you're doing that, you're actually linking the inner, your inner world and the outer world. You know, the outer world, which is everything out there, the inner world is everything here, and there's a oneness of those two. And by focusing on your breath, breathing in and then breathing out, you're linking the inner and the outer world. It's almost as if you've, when you start doing that, you sort of create this ball within you that sort of opens yourself, opens your heart. And as your heart opens, you can then have those, those two things connected. And I like this idea of the going round and round. You sort of follow your breath up, and you're breathing in, and you, fo- and you let your breath go out, like this. 
And you create this circular breath. And I had this idea, these things don't always work, but it, hopefully it will, will work this time. I had this idea that really it's like that, the, a gyroscope, you know. And when you've got a gyroscope, he says, taking the sellotape off so I can actually make it work. So when you've got a gyroscope, it's interesting with a gyroscope because it'll just stand totally, you know, like that because of the circular motion that's going on. Normally that would just fall over, but because of that circular motion, it is actually able to support itself. And the idea in meditation is very much like the gyroscope. With that circular motion, you sort of create this organic ball that's inside you that sort of has your mind quiet and completely just follow the breath and it just opens your heart up. And then that opens to the heart of love that's within us, the ground of all being. You know, the way that we do that. I'm going to stop this before it crashes out like that. There we are, good. So that's the demonstrations over um, uh, for those bits. So the idea is that uh, by giving ourselves over, you know, we open ourselves up to that. And I mentioned a while ago that uh, we, all try, we all try to look for our purpose in life. And most of us try to act in the best interests of ourselves and our families and our wider community. You know, when we look at our lives, we, we want to make a good contribution to what's going on. But what if the very fact of living was the contribution that we're making, the very fact of aliveness? What if all we're asked to do as a sedentary is to live consciously? And that act of living consciously is the only loving action we need to take to make our contribution to life. That, our very beingness is the most important thing. When we enter into practice, and just say here, I'm quite big on medita- you know, spiritual practice, meditation, stuff like that. I always think that really that is what enables us to connect. It's so difficult with the world going around all it is to, to connect with something deep within us. And so I think a spiritual practice, a meditation practice is what's important. And the difference is, when you talk about practice in athletics or music or art, practice isn't the real thing. It's what we do so that the performance on a specific day might be the best. You know, we practice so that they can, you know, have it be great. In those circumstances, practice is not the real thing. But our spiritual practice, the meditation, That is the real thing. It's just as real as eating a meal or working or going for a run. It's not practice then in the sense of practicing for another time. It's practice in the true sense of the word. Now the word practice comes from the Latin word practicare, which means to perform or carry out. Practicare is to perform or carry out. So we are performing or carrying out in our meditation our true being, not for the sake of some other time, but it's for our own sake that we, we carry it out there and then. And if you're interested in developing a practice, uh, my you know, office is always open. I'm really interested in, you know, if people want to talk about how to develop such a practice, please do, do give me a call. And, and you know, we really... In in doing that, we really hope that the quality of our being in the rest of our lives will also be informed by the level of purity that comes from the heart rather than the mind. 
We hope that our interactions in our day will be more conscious, that we will live in our hearts more than our minds. And so we'll keep that portal of love within us open more than it's closed. You know, to keep that ball at the centre of ourselves revolving so that the inner world and the outer world are united. And that takes us to how our relationship with life changes when we live more consciously. As we live life with that portal of love open, where the mind is not distracting us, but where our hearts are open. And the first thing I, I want to say about what changes is, is that we become connected. Connected through our hearts to that centre in the universe, to that which creates all things, which in turn is connected to the love by, that's being expressed by everything around us. And, you know, that love that creates us, that gives us our life, that gives us our very being, is the same love that, you know, created these pillars that are here, or the chairs, or the lecterns, or other people. That love is expressed through all things. All of them are expressed and driven by that love which is at the centre of all things. And if they weren't driven by that love that is at the centre of all things, they wouldn't exist. There is, an, you know, the ordering principle that makes them exist is that love, whether they know it or not. So our inner world and our outer world become connected. When it's our mind running things, there's a disconnection, a separateness that's created by the mind. The mind thinks for itself and actually for little else. Its strategies are created out of what it's learned from the past and therefore are very limited. Maybe 50 years or so of experience in your mind, you know, though in some cases probably less. However, you know, however smart minds are, age is no guarantee of smartness, by the way. However smart they are, they've only got 60, 50, 40, 30 years worth of experience that they're basing everything from. And that is nothing compared to the millennia that is contained within the universal mind. Now, the nature of mind, mind is just an ordering principle. Mind is an ordering principle. And, you know, our, our rational minds, they order what we do and what we see. But we know that there's a planetary mind because there's definitely an ordering principle that, you know, keeps things going the way they are. And there's a universal mind because actually everything just stays you know, the way it should be. There's an orderingness there. And that mind, that universal mind, has always been there, creating the conditions for the evolution of consciousness. And what we're talking about in evolution, evolution is not, you know, your, your child developing an extra thumb for texting. You know, that's not evolution. The way evolution works is it is the evolution of consciousness. You know, the... The fish became conscious of something outside, the light, and so they dragged themselves out of the sea. It is all about consciousness. Plants, everything, and we are the flower of that consciousness. We are the, the, the universe made conscious of itself. We can self-reflect. And, you know, we, we, you know the humanity is the high point of the evolution, evolution of consciousness, and it does continue. The mind 
uh, actually is, is developed through that evolution of consciousness. All is driven by an evolutionary urge that we are part of. You know, that universal mind facilitated the creation of planets, the creation of life. Suddenly there was a creation of, you know, things happening on Earth and then blah, 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 blah. And then here we are as part of that evolution. And being guided by our hearts rather than our minds, we become connected with the evolutionary urge. We're connected with that universal mind, which also contains the planetary mind, the biosphere, and what's called the nuosphere. Who's, who's heard of the nuosphere? Thank you. <laughs> the nuosphere. Uh, Tia de Chardin describes the nuosphere. It says, creatures, of, creatures evolve, a new biosphere emerges, and with it, a new nuosphere. And the nuosphere is the evolutionary thrust that's dominated by consciousness, the mind, and interpersonal relationships. It's all the stuff that we experience and how we experience it. Is it the consciousness experiencing? That's what the new, newosphere is. It's your consciousness experiencing, as opposed to all the sort of bits and pieces that are going on, which is the biosphere is plants. But up here, it's the consciousness experiencing, which is the, the newosphere. And by allowing our hearts to guide us, we tap into that mind that greater mind, and allow that to guide us. And the amazing thing is that if we are present to life in this way, everything that we need to fulfill our purpose in life is available to us. If you're conscious in this way, everything you need becomes available to you. The connection between the inner world and the outer world, it's a unique connection for each one of you. Jennifer's connection to the inner world and the outer world is totally unique to Jennifer through her past, what she's been brought up, what she's thought about things, and his you know, connection is totally unique as well. And if you believe, and you know, this is a longer conversation, but if you believe there is a wholeness in all things, that actually we are all part of a one wholeness, then if there is a unique relationship between our inner world and an outer world, then somehow uniquely we are, create, we are connected to the universe. No one has the same connection. Each of us lives different lives in different ways with different relationships to the universe. Our connection is unique. And the universe, in turn, serves each of us in a completely unique way. It brings us unique problems for us to solve. Unique circumstances that we have to overcome. And we always say, oh, why me? You know, but no, it's because it's you. Unique people to deal with. And by being open to the inner and the outer world at the same time, it brings us unique ways of being to deal with it. Our mind, however, will focus on the fear, on the upset, on the uncomfortableness on the why me of the, why me? Why have I got this illness? Well, because actually there's something, you know, you, you dealing with what you've got, you're dealing with it on behalf of everybody else around you. It is your opportunity to make a contribution and it'll drive us. The mind wants us to get out of these situations so that we feel less pain, but the heart will comfort us in these situations. 
odd word, literally from the Latin word comfortare. And you know, the Latin word comfortare doesn't mean fluffy cushions and pillows and nice bedding and stuff like that. It means to strengthen, to comfort. Like, you know, when someone's not doing well, you want to comfortare them. You want to strengthen them to be able to deal with what's going on. Our hearts will strengthen us and will give us courage. Literally, courage, literally heart age. From the Latin word cur, meaning heart. Courage, heart age. That's what, what the word courage is. We're given courage to go through the pain, to allow our being to turn the difficult feelings and emotions into love. Our beingness, if we're conscious of it will allow us to turn those difficult feelings and emotions into love through what I like to call emotional alchemy. We take those feelings and we contain them and we give out love in return. Normally we blame people. It's their fault that I haven't got a job. It's their fault that you know this is going on. This is about actually having the feelings and transforming them. And that's the way of the heart. And you know, the way of the heart never fails. That reading from Bruce, love is patient. This, this is a description of heartedness, courage. Love is patient, kind, does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, does not dishonor others, is not self-seeking, is not easily angered. I mean, this is just a list. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but always rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And then, you know, the cruncher, love never fails. Yeah, that's in the Bible. You know, you couldn't get a better description. And they say the Bible's difficult. That's a description of emotional alchemy, which is made possible through living consciously from the heart, rooted in the ground of all being. When we're simply being in this way, when we're being in the heartage way, either by meditation, by following our breath, or by responding in a loving way to life, we are actually talking the language of God. That is the language of God. We are speaking the language of the divine. Love is the language of the divine. Our actions and our beingness is actually that divinity speaking through us, as in the sense of Thomas Merton. Thomas Merton was a Christian mystic, and, and this is what he said. He said, God utters me like a word, utters me like a word, containing a partial thought of himself. A word will never be able to comprehend the voice that utters it. So like, we're a word uttered by God, a partial thought of himself. A word will never be able to comprehend the voice that utters it. But if I'm true to the concept that God utters in me, if I'm true to the thought of him that I was meant to embody, I shall be full of his actuality and find him everywhere in myself and I shall find myself nowhere. That is to give up to the greater mind rather than use our rational minds. Through living consciously, through the guidance of our hearts, we become the language of love in the world. We speak truth and love to all around us. And in return, we're strengthened so we can deal with whatever comes our way. Our fear comes when we seek reassurance from around those around us that we're doing the right thing. We want to see circumstances change. 
We want to see people approve of us. We, we want good feelings to come. But that's to place trust in ephemeral things. Ephemeral, literally, I, I like Latin. Ephemeral, literally from the Latin word, which means lasting only one day. That's what ephemeral actually means in the Latin. And those things, circumstances, approval, feelings, they just tend to last for a short period of time. In living in the presence of being, our assurance has to come from that very experience of being that we're expressing, from the actuality of speaking the language of the divine, from being the portal of love in action. And that's the only thing that gives lasting assurance. It says in Hebrews, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. That's what it means. It's to live in the heart. And that's the way to live. And when we live that way, we don't get something that lasts only one day. When we live that way, we enter into eternal life. This is about entering into. Eternal life is where space and time don't have the same influences. We live within a paradigm of the divine, and therefore the fears of time and space begin to slip away. That's to live as Zen master Dojin describes it. Zen master Dojin, 13th century mystic, he describes that to live without desire for fame and gain. He says that that's the aim, to live without desire for fame and gain, to live in the knowledge that simply to be is enough, that our own uniqueness is all that's needed from us and anything else is a distraction. It's the narrow path to take. Jesus describes the narrow gate. This is what he's talking about. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the, world, the, the, the road that leads to life and only few find it. The narrow gate is the unique path of being that the heart leads us on. That is the narrow gate. It's your beingness. It's not of the mind, it's from the heart. A broad gate is the path of fame and gain, and the mind is always prone to take that path. But what a relief that we don't have to try. That if we leave the finding of the way to the way, then we find the way. Another Zen master Dojin quote, when you leave the way to the way, you attain the way. When you leave the way to the way, it manifests itself. The path is set in front of us. Again, it says in Hebrews, therefore, since we're surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. That's what the race that's set before That's the narrow gate. And the quote goes on to say that Jesus did that for the joy that was set before him. The outcome of this sort of beingness is joy. You know when you're there, because you do experience that joy. It's there. The joy of the simple life, of the narrow gate, of fulfilling the purpose of our existence by being appropriate to both the inner and the outer life. I'm on the last page, so you didn't panic. And it's the narrow path that we have to tread, and sometimes, often, we find our way off the path. But as Thomas Keating from Snowmass Up the Road always said, the practice 
is not the following of the breath. The practice is coming back to the breath after your mind has led you astray. So in life, if we find ourselves off the path, we just come back to the path. We remind ourselves that it's our heart, not that our mind, that's the compass point. And we remember to come back to it again. You know, I always deliver all this material that I come up and spout up here with the willingness to be wrong. You know, I'm willing for some to say, oh, oi, you know, hang on. And I do deliver this with a willingness to be wrong. I don't know whether what I say is the truth, but I'm willing to be told out where I'm wrong. The Dalai Lama was asked, what would he do if it were conclusively proved to him that reincarnation did not exist? What would he do if it was conclusively proved to him that reincarnation did not exist? And the Dalai Lama said he would change his beliefs accordingly. We have to be willing to start again if we, if we get it wrong. We have to have the humility to be open to being wrong about anything. Zen Ma- I like Zen Master as well. Zen Master Rujin says, the entire body is a wind chime. Imagine yourself, you know, you're out there being with the, everything around you. It's a wind chime hanging in empty space. Regardless of the wind from the east, the west, the north, joining the universe, you are chiming out prana. Ting, 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 ting. By the way, prana is direct insight into truth taught by the Buddha. In other words, if you just allow yourself to hang in the wind and just take your path, wisdom will come to you. You know, it, you know, that's what happens. We have to have the humility to realize that we're just hanging there. We're just hanging there. And the purity of the sound that we give out in our life is really all that's required of us. There's nowhere to go. No, nothing to work out. And if we find ourselves doing anything else, we have to bring ourselves back. Just to being that wind chime affected by north, south, east and west. The universe's actions on us and our response to the universe. It's just the wind chime. That's all you have to do. That is the nature of true being. That is the true nature of our being. That is the language of God. That is our purpose. Our purpose for being in the world is to chime out our own wisdom. Thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.